All right, we got a big text today, so let's get started. In uh, 1962, I was not born yet, Uh, and evidently that comes as a shock to some people. During my uh, shift just this past week at Trader Joe's, uh, there was disco music playing over the speakers, and one of the younger crew members there at Trader Joe's was just being so friendly to me and wanting to have conversation with me, and so he came up and said, so Barrett, what was it like living during the disco years? Well, to his great surprise... I told him I was born in 1973, and so I don't have, like, all these strong memories of wearing bell-bottoms and those sort of things when I was a toddler. Another crew member was listening in, and, and she just could not believe that I was born in 1973. She thought I was way older than that. And she said, you mean to tell me that you're only three years older than me? She couldn't believe it. I think she was depressed for the rest of her shift. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Growing up, my kids always thought that Kevin Wooten was younger than me. That's a true story. Uh, So I just need to clear that up here at the outset. In case there's any confusion, I'm only 48 years old. Okay? I just need to clear that up. And... Since we're talking about time, I do want to make you aware of a milestone of sorts. Um, Last Sunday marked 15 years of ministry for me with Southside. And uh, Karen and I arrived here on the first Sunday in October of 2006. And I was only 33 years old. And we'd only been married for seven years, and we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an 11-month-old. And so I just didn't want that to pass without me, on behalf of my family, saying thank you to all of you uh, for loving my family so well as we have attempted to serve you all um, for these last 15 years. And how about we do another 15 years together? What do you think? All right. Well, back to my story. Anyway, in 1962, 11 years before I was born, a group of business partners developed a plan to build a chain of motels with rooms at bargain rates. And it was the price of the room per night that drove the entire plan. What was the lowest rate that they could come up with and still provide a traveler with a nice place to stay for the evening? So as they talked about their vision and trimmed away the excess costs, they finally settled in on a number, and it was the number six. Now, in 1962... They wanted to build a chain of motels with rooms that would only cost $6 a night, and they did it. Now, 
You may already be familiar with the story, but I didn't know how the chain of motels received its name. These developers decided to call this chain Motel 6. And in 1986, the chain hired NPR personality Tom Bodette to become their spokesperson, and he would now famously end their radio commercials with the phrase, I'm Tom Bodette, and you could, you could say it, uh, we'll leave the light on for you. I share that with you this morning as an introduction to this text, because I think the task that Paul gives the church here in Ephesians chapter 5, is to become like Tom Bodette, to become people who leave the light on for you. I mentioned last week that this section of Ephesians, verses 3 through 21, pivots around verse 8. The verses prior to verse 8 that we looked at last week deal with life Before conversion, I titled that message last week, In the Dark. Today, we're going to look at these verses following verse 8 that deal with life after conversion. And I've titled today's message, Into the Light. And so let's read verse 8 again. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live walk as children of light. Perhaps there's not a stronger explanation in all the Bible of conversion. The language that Paul chooses to use here is so clear and it's so strong. For you were once, at one time in the past, you were darkness. Now, notice he does not say you were once in the darkness. He says you were darkness. You see, it was not just your environment that was dark. You were dark. Your life was dark. Darkness was in you. But now, such a great contrasting statement. You were once darkness, but now you're no longer darkness. But now you are light. This is who you are. You're light. Now, we could understand if he wrote, you're part light and part darkness. Or we could understand if he he wrote, you're now someone who tries to become like light. But Paul took conversion way more seriously than we do. He said, you were once darkness, but now you're light. You see, conversion is a drastic change. There's a a drastic change in who we are, in our nature. We're no longer darkness, we're light. And how, how has this happened to us? How has this kind of contrast occurred in our life? Look at verse 8 again. Paul says, it happened, it's easy just to read over this, and I don't want you to miss it. It happened because you are in the 
Lord. Circle that phrase. But now you're light because you're in the Lord. You see, Jesus Christ is the source of the light. Brought with me this morning a light bulb. What Paul's getting at here is that we're kind of like light bulbs. God created us to shine his light. This is how we were designed. We're created to shine his light. But sin has separated us from the source. And so we're light bulbs made to be image bearers of light. God is light, the scripture tells us, and in him there is no darkness. But sin has separated us from the source. And as long as we're not in the Lord, then we cannot bear light because we're not connected to the source. Oh, we can try really hard. We can clean ourselves up real well. We can get all dressed up and put on our best lampshade. But unless we're connected to the source, then we are not light. And that's the tragedy. We're a light bulb, but we're not light. A light bulb on its own cannot give off light. But now, Paul writes, you are light in the Lord. Once you are connected to the source, Jesus Christ, you are light. So, Walk, behave, conduct yourself, order your daily life, live as children of light. You see, this is a command that Paul gives here. And the command from Paul is to be who you are. In the Lord, your light. So live as children of light. The command to be light is not given to an unconnected light bulb because that's impossible. Instead, it's given to one. Here, it's given to those who are connected to the source. So the command is not some kind of wishful thinking, but a call to live out what is now true about you in the Lord. Live as who you are now, not as who you once were. So, what does it look like to live as children of light? That's what the rest of this text is all about. The rest of these verses that Gregory read for us through verse 21, it's commentary on verse 8. 
is that this is what it looks like. We're, we're no longer darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. So we walk as children of light, and Paul tells us what that looks like. What does that life look like? Two things that we're going to look at this morning. First, children of light live visibly, visibly. That's going to be verses 9 through 14. Children of light live visibly. And then second, children of light live vividly. That's verses 15 through 21. So two ways that we're going to talk about what it means to live as children of light. We live visibly, 9 through 14, and we live vividly, verses 15 through 21. And so first, children of light live visibly. We live visibly. In his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. That cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about there. Children of light live visibly. And Paul talks about that in three ways here in these verses that I want us to look at together this morning. First, in verse 9, part of what this means to live, um, to, to be children of light who live visibly. Verse 9, we produce fruit. We produce fruit. If we're connected to the source, Jesus talks about that in John, right? If we're, if we're, we're, we're connected to him, we remain in him, and that's what Paul's getting at here. We produce fruit. Those of us that are connected to Jesus, that are connected to the source, we produce fruit. Children of light produce fruit of the light. They produce visible fruit, which according to the NRSV consists of all things that are good, right, and true. That's the kind of fruit that we produce. If you recall back in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 10, Paul wrote that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To produce fruit, to produce fruit that's good and right and true. And so we produce fruit. It's, it's, that's just the initial right here from the beginning. How do we walk as children of light? Visibly, we produce fruit that's good and right and true. You know, how we've talked about that at our house through the years um, with our children, is that we're people who both know and show. That's, that's how we've always talked about it. 
We, we know the love of God and we show the love of God. That's who we are as people of God. We know his great love for us and we show his great love to others. And so we produce fruit. That's number one. Secondly, in verse 10, this is one of my favorite ones. We live for pleasure. We live for pleasure. Paul says, we find out what pleases the Lord. Did you know that you're a pleasure seeker? I get these emails from a travel company that we used one time, about once a month, um, and they'll have in the subject line, travel destinations for pleasure seekers. I think, all right, I'd like to go there, right? Humans like to seek pleasure. And I love thinking about it like this because we are seekers of pleasure in that we actively find out what pleases the Lord. Our actions are determined by a desire not to please ourselves, but instead to please the Lord. And ultimately, our greatest pleasure is found in what brings pleasure to God. I like it. You see, the Christian life is not a duty. It's not I'm toiling on. It's I'm seeking pleasure. I'm a pleasure seeker, and that's visible. When a Christian walks into a room and he's a pleasure seeker, you know something's different about him. So we live for pleasure. We find out what pleases the Lord. And then third, we become winsome. We become winsome. And here's what I mean. You, that, I, this is always, it's kind of a funny word, but it's always been one of my favorite quotes about evangelism. Um, it's by an evangelist named Greg Laurie who you may have run across him. He's with the Harvest Church out in California. But he says, if you want to win some, then become winsome. And I think about that quote a lot um, when I'm working at Trader Joe's or when I'm out in the community because I want to have the kind of character that's attractive to others. I want the light of Christ to shine so brightly in my life that it becomes visible and attractive to those who do not know him. In verse 13, Paul writes, but everything that is exposed by the light of Christ becomes visible. Do you hear what he's saying? It's the light of Christ through his people that reveals both the futility of my way of life and the attractiveness of his way of life. 
Look, let me just be real straightforward with you here. I grew up a preacher's kid. I grew up going to Bible class every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night. I never missed a time that the doors were open. But what won me over? I surrendered my life to Christ when I saw the light of Christ in the lives of college students my age on the campus of the University of Georgia. Paul, this is why Paul concludes this part there in verse 14. It's with this great hymn, this baptismal hymn, this kind of ancient hymn that scholars believe was sung at people's baptisms. It says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And the light of Christ shines on others through us. We live visibly. So, children of light live visibly. That's, that's the first part there in verses 9 through 14. Second, children of life, light live vividly. Vividly. Verse uh, 15, Paul writes, Take care, then... How you live, again, that's our word that we've talked about quite a bit that can be translated walk. Um, How you walk, how you behave, how you conduct yourself. Be very careful then how you walk. And then he explains what he's getting at by sharing three not but contrasts right here in a row. He says, be careful how you walk. Take it very seriously how you behave out in the world. And then he shares these three not but contrasts. You know how on your TV or your computer screen there's a contrast setting? And you you adjust the contrast setting in order to affect the quality of the picture, you, you adjust the contrast in order to increase the brightness so that you can see the, the picture more vividly. That's what Paul's doing right here in these verses. He's, he's adjusting the contrast so that the light of Christ might shine more vividly in us. He shares these three not but contrasts in these verses. The first one is found in verses 15 and 16. So as he kind of adjusts the contrast for us, he said, not as unwise, but as wise. That's the first contrast to be adjusted so that we can live like children of light more vividly. Now, wisdom often refers to a person's intellect, but not here. 
Here, Paul gets uh, specific with what he's referring to in verse 16 so that we know the contrast that he's referring to specifically is to live wisely when it comes to our time. He's talking about time. Be wise with your use of time. Make the most of every passing opportunity. Paul writes, take advantage of every day, every hour, every moment. Why? Because the days are evil. In other words, you may not get another chance. He's already said in Ephesians chapter 4, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because the days are evil. Don't hold a grudge against someone because you may not get another chance to reconcile with that person. Make the most of your time. Adjust the contrast of your time. Allow the light of Christ to shine into every moment. That's the first one. Second, verse 17, he continues to help us adjust the contrast. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, usually when we talk about the Lord's will, maybe you bring that up even in your own conversation with someone else. What I find is we're we're often referring to... uh, what his will might be for some major decision in our life. But that's not what Paul's referring to here. You know, I have, uh, I've emphasized this repeatedly in this series, and I think it's important to emphasize it again here. Paul is very clear what he's referring to in this letter when he talks about the will of God. I want to read again to you from the introduction of the letter in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. Paul writes, And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Here it is. This is the will of God to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's the will of God, to bring everything together under Christ. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to bring unity to the church in Ephesus a church that consisted of Jews and Gentiles. It would have been much easier, as we've said time and again, for them to just have formed two separate groups. But the will of God 
is to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes, do not be foolish. Instead, understand what the Lord's will is. The mystery of this will, Paul tells us, is to bring everything together under the one head, Jesus Christ. It's unity under Christ. It's unity in him. And so he wants us to adjust the contrast to to understanding the will of God. Paul believed with all his heart that unity, that reconciliation between two people allows for the light of Christ to shine vividly. Perhaps there's no better opportunity even for the light of Christ to shine with such vivid nature than when two people reconcile. When two people who are at odds come together as one under Christ, the light of Christ shines vividly. It's the will of God. And then third, this last kind of contrast adjustment, he says, do not get drunk on wine but be filled with the Spirit. So do not fill yourself with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the contrast that he's making intentionally. Now I want to share three things about this contrast um, as we think about it. First, The verb here in verse 18 that's translated to be filled, these are really important, um, is in the plural form. It's in the plural form, meaning that it is addressed to the entire Christian community. So what Paul's saying is, you all be filled. You see, being filled with the Spirit is not just for special or elite Christians. It's for all of us. The whole church is to be filled with the Spirit, not just a select few. Second, the verb to be filled is in the present tense, meaning that the action is continuous. You see, to be filled with the Spirit, it's not a one-time deal, but a daily renewal. Oh, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, once and for all, but we're to be filled with the Spirit and go on being filled with the Spirit each and every day. And then third, the verb to be filled is in the passive voice, meaning that the action is done to us, meaning we do not fill ourselves with the Spirit. Instead, the Spirit fills us. In other words, it's it's not a taking control of the Spirit. We're not in control of the Spirit filling us. Instead, it's a giving over of our control to the Spirit to be filled by Him.
You see, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to put ourselves under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is why it makes so much sense to contrast it with the drinking of too much wine. When we're filled with wine, too much wine, we say that we're under the influence of alcohol. In contrast here, a spirit-filled Christian is under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know how someone who's under the influence of alcohol acts. Typically, uh, they slur their speech, they lose their fine motor skills, they lower their inhibitions. But what about someone who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit? How does someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit act? What do they look like? Well, Paul tells us in verses 19 through 21. Paul shares five participle phrases to describe how someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit acts. These actions taken in these verses are the results of a life being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it does not have anything to do with speaking in tongues or prophesying or miraculous healings. A person who is spirit-filled, Paul tells us, has a spirit of singing. Verse 19. A spirit of thanksgiving, verse 20. In a spirit of submission, verse 21. These are the marks. These are the actions of a spirit-filled Christian. And I want you to notice, it's important to see, of the five participle phrase listed, three have to do with singing. Singing to one another. Encouraging one another with song. Instructing each other with the words of our song. Singing and making music to the Lord. You see, the purpose of singing is is both to encourage one another and to praise God. It's both. And, And people who are filled with the Holy Spirit always have a song on their hearts. There's a song in their hearts. And there's also a spirit of thanksgiving. We talked about this just a little bit last week. But people who are spirit-filled are thankful. Thanksgiving is the best use of their speech. They're always telling you how much they're thankful for you. You know when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit because they're thankful. 
Always, Paul says, at all times and for everything. And then lastly, there's a spirit of submission. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit have a spirit of submission. People under the influence of the Holy Spirit submit to one another. You know, I find it interesting that most people are offended by the word submission. But you know who's not offended by the word submission? Those who are filled by the Holy Spirit. Because they have already submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. Those who are spirit-filled believe that submission based on love for another person is the strongest act of the human will. And with unity being the main point of this letter, then mutual submission is key. So a spirit-filled life is a life filled with song. It's a life filled with thanksgiving and a life filled with submission. Paul wants us to adjust the contrast to being filled with the Spirit. Holy Spirit allows the light of Christ to shine more vividly in us. And that brings us back to verse 8. Let's read it one more time together. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light, both visibly and vividly. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words to us. We're thankful that we are, as, as, as followers of Jesus, are connected to the source. You know, we're thankful that you're not, these, this command and these words aren't being spoken to unconnected light bulbs. I hope that's just an illustration that resonates with folks. How futile that would be if we're just a light bulb in a package, hearing these words from Paul, thinking like, oh, man, <laughs> shoot. But that's not the case. We're connected to the source. This is who we are. And Paul's encouragement here is just to be who we are now in the Lord. Thankful. We're thankful for Jesus Christ. And Father, strengthen us, empower us to live visibly and vividly in the world for you. Shine the light of Christ through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, 
The invitation uh, is for anyone here who isn't connected to the source, right? This is you. I know why maybe you come and you sit here and you think, man, I, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not getting any of this. call is for you to come to Jesus, connect to the source. It's conversion. You go from darkness to light, not because anything you've done, but because what he's done for you, now you're connected to him. If there's anyone here that needs to respond to Christ, come and put your faith in him and baptism, we'd love to participate in that with you this morning. Let's stand together and sing.